This episode is brought to you by 9AM Health. 9AM Health, diabetes care that fits your life. Wait, before you hit that exit button, you're in the right place. This is Healing in Hindsight. I am your guest host, Eli Will. We're going to be doing things a little differently today. This is a Healing in Hindsight takeover. So a little bit about me, if you all don't know, I actually made a an appearance in season one where Taylor and I were talking about her journey, her struggles with diabetes, as well as conversely on the other side of that fence, actually living with someone that is a type two diabetic. So I gave a little insight there and, and what my observations were and uh, it was a great conversation. You should check it out, season one. But a little bit about me, I am a transplant to Austin from Atlanta since 2017. I am a manager in the telecoms industry, and I have very near goals of becoming a fitness model as well as a real estate investor. But enough about me. You all didn't come to see me. You came to see the young lady, Taylor Danielle, the lovely Taylor Danielle. A little bit about our relationship. We've known each other for quite, quite, quite some time probably 12, 15. I'm not good at math. Don't tell her I don't know when we met. But we've we've known each other quite a long time. And I've just watched her grow and thrive. And, and these past four years really have brought me to a very intimate observation of her and seeing the, the woman that she's come to, to be and her challenges and successes, not only with her diagnosis, but also with this podcast. So without further ado, the next person that we'll be talking to is the lovely, luxurious Taylor. Let's get to it. Let's do it. You're listening to Healing in Hindsight, your no BS source for thriving with diabetes. What's up, guys? I'm Taylor Danielle, and it's my goal to help millennial diabetics like myself live an amazing life without your diagnosis getting in the way. I get it. I was diagnosed back in 2015 with type 2 diabetes, and it was really hard to find people around my age to understand how to travel, socialize, or even have meaningful relationships. But I feel like with a focus on mindset, perspective, and nutrition, together we can take back our health and our lives. Consider this the red table talk, but for diabetics. Minus the entanglement, so. So let's do it. How you doing, young lady? I adore you so much. I'm doing great. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love your background there. It's, uh, it's a legit background. Do I look How long did, did it take you to put that together? I don't know. Am I, am I Pinterest worthy now? Is that... Honestly, that, that definitely <laughs> looks like a Pinterest background there. You can see my background. It's like little Funko Pops over here, my curve monitor over here, and that's all you get. <laughs> she got the whole legit setup queen podcaster going on over there. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting there. I'm getting there. But I'll, well, I, I appreciate the compliment. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You're doing you're doing amazing stuff. Which, by the way, let's 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 kind of segue into that. So you are now. I don't know if your audience knows, but you are now a full time podcaster. Yeah, 
Yeah. So I, tell uh, us a, a little bit about that journey so far and how, how you've gotten to this point. Ha, have you told your, your folks that, have you told the, the people that the, uh, you're a full-time podcaster now? I feel like, sort of. I feel like I have yeah. said that said that in, in certain episodes, but not maybe directly. At first I thought that to me my parents. I'm like, yeah, I definitely told them. <laughs> but it's, it's definitely interesting to go full time. But I, I just want to full transparency, guys, because I know that people venture into doing stuff online and the hope is to make it their job and monetize and all that. I ain't making no money yet, y'all. So if you want to support the show, there are support options to do show. that. But you know, I do, I do have a separate income that is supporting me right now. But the goal is I'm in this, although I am doing this full time, it's to ramp up and transition into being able to earn income off of this full time as well. But Absolutely. I am putting all of my energy into this show. And like I told you guys a couple episodes ago, I'm starting my live stream in a couple of weeks. And I have a coaching program that I will be launching for founding members pretty soon. Amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. Yeah, y'all support the show. I say y'all. You all. Support it's y'all. You're in Texas now. It's y'all. Can y'all tell Never. this man it's y'all? It's nope. y'all. Nope. Every time you, he slips, I let him guys, know it's y'all. These guys. Trash. But awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. We uh, definitely look forward to what you are rolling out with in the near future. You've been hard at work. I've seen it. So yeah, support the show. She's doing a lot of great things and meeting a lot of great people and getting you all the information that you need to be more successful with your journey, your battles with diabetes. But uh, let's pivot and uh, get into it, shall we? So I'm I know nervous. that... Maybe curveballs warning. So I know that inside scoop, y'all, Taylor has had a new regiment, I think, for the past two months. A new device. Do you have that handy with you to show the folks? I do not. I don't have it next to me, but I know what you're referring to. My Freestyle Libre 2 Constant Glucose Monitor or CGM. I am actually in the process of needing to go pick up my new sensor. It went out two days ago. So I've been doing been doing the manual finger pricks for the last few days. So, but it is new and I've definitely gushed about how much I love my CGM because it has given me way more insight than a regular glucose meter does. So it's over there. Just, I don't have a sensor on right now. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Well, this uh, new testing regimen, tell us a little bit about it. Like how often do you have to do it in the day? What times do you do it during the day? So I, it's, it's weird. It's, I guess technically I could follow my old testing routine, which is like first thing in the morning. And that usually was all that my doctor recommended with the test strips. It's just first thing in the morning and then maybe two hours after dinner just to see where my food is landing. But, you know, I'm, I'm taking my, the medication that I was on at the time was extended release. So the mornings was like the more vital thing because I'm fasting and it's giving me a picture of what my blood sugar levels are like without anything in my system, basically. So I do still check first thing in the morning, but I feel like a, you know, barcoded product because I'm constantly scanning myself the most random times, no reason at all. I've even made a game out of like buying random snacks to see what happens just so I can scam myself. So it's, 
I, I definitely follow the first thing in the morning to see where I'm at. Sometimes it beats me to it. It has alarms on it to let me know if I'm going too low or I'm going too high. And I will say since having it, I have noticed a trend. I'd say like the first three weeks, I don't think it went off the one time that I was at your place, but it was going off pretty regularly around two in the morning, which if anyone's familiar with dawn phenomenon, that makes kind of sense. And it's where your blood sugar drops anywhere between that 3 a.m. to 8 a.m. time frame. And then it pulls a hurry up offense and it rises. So when you actually do get up, you check yourself and your numbers are already starting to climb way higher than you intended to be. And that's because your body doesn't know the difference between you being diabetic and getting up and starting your day. It's just going to produce insulin because it knows that you're getting up. So I did experience that for the first couple of weeks wearing it. And then I figured out how to combat that and it balanced out. So for sure, first thing in the morning, and then a couple of times throughout the day, maybe like after I've eaten a meal, I definitely try to scan. But a lot of times I'm scanning because one of the alarms is going off. Either I'm going too low or I'm going too high. So it's random. It sometimes just when I feel like it. Like, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> speak on uh, speak on that that challenge that you had to overcome. Flesh that out for us. So the. So, so Dawn Phenomenon, which I did an episode about, I call it Diabetic Morning Wood <laughs> because it's it literally happens because you're rising. You're literally getting up. Your body is getting ready. It's waking up. It's trying to, you know, get all the systems going for you. But I don't, I, when I was doing research on it, I can't fully remember that the main cause outside of you just don't have enough food in your system from the night before to tie you over and keep you even. And so your night routine can greatly affect that. Then I realized I was experiencing the Samogi effect, which is a little bit similar to Dawn Phenomenon, but instead of dropping, you actually like skyrocket before. And then there's also another thing called feet to the floor. So it's your numbers are fine throughout the night, but once you actually physically get up, so it's past that three to 8 a.m. time frame, you're not dropping low, but once you actually get up, your blood sugar starts to rise because again, it's your systems are, are firing off. It doesn't understand it being your body that you don't have any glucose in your system for the insulin to you know transfer so you need for you to use energy. It just knows time to get up. We're moving. We need to to release insulin, and so that's probably the the most common thing that I'm experiencing. So again, it's just more like making sure my food at night is as low carb as possible. So that way I don't have all this extra sugar in my system that my insulin production isn't isn't catching basically. So there have been, I will say when I was on my old medication, which was extended release, it wasn't as bad because it's working for me overnight. So it's it's coaxing the insulin to take with the glucose, use it throughout the night. But when I moved to my current medication regimen, that's when it became a bit more challenging. So I recognized that I still have to make sure I eat something because I will uh, find myself not eating at night sometimes. And that's part of the issue is it's dropping in the middle of the night because I didn't eat anything. Making sure that whatever I eat has a balance of fat, fiber, and carbs. Sometimes it's just a lot of carbs. So I have to make sure I have something even spread out so that way it's a slow release versus just skyrocketing instantly from eating or an hour or so afterwards. So my my night routine is probably the thing that made the biggest effect on it because it 
it determines what's going to happen the next morning. And it was a little tricky, especially now that I'm doing this full time. I have the tendency to stay up late. I <laughs> I get up early, not because I like being a morning person or, or I'm a natural early riser. It's just from years of being up early. And in some ways, I prefer to get my work done and out of the way. When you did 6 a.m., 7 a.m. shift for over four years, you get used to the fact that you can actually make happy hour when happy hour was more of a regular thing. So now that I can do whatever. I try to give myself the mornings to just really have to myself. And then around like 9, 10, that's when I actually start my day. So sometimes that leads to me being up really late because I'm like, oh, well, I'll just finish this and then I'll sleep in or whatever. So really honing in on my night routine and what I'm actually taking in, that's probably the biggest thing that helped me to combat all three of those things. Because again, your body just, it just says, ah, regular schedule program, it doesn't fully understand and adjust to the fact that your insulin production system is a little off. I think that's an awesome point. I definitely know that the sleep time is definitely the body's time to repair itself and it uses whatever you put into into your system the day before or that night prior. It's going to use that to, to re, rebuild, repair. And it's also a time where a lot of sugar and processed sugar or when I say sugar, I mean the sugar that is produced by your body by whatever you broke down or ate. That's the time where it will store that in fat cells and, and stuff like that or use it for muscle repair. So I think that's a good point that you're making and just uh, making sure that uh, you have a balanced meal. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing. So with your new testing device, because I hear it. I feel like I hear it like every hour. It loses signal a lot with the new placement. That's part of why it's going off is okay. it'll alert you when the signal, it, it can't connect. So you have to rescan it to connect. And so when I had it on the outside of my arm, it was a lot less. But when I moved it to the inside of my arm, A, because I just think I'm a ghost and I like to walk through walls. But when I moved it to the inside of my arm, I think just the the tissues and muscle and all that kind of stuff like that if it's not close to me. And I mean, you've been around me where sometimes it's just going off and it's literally right in front of me. And I'm like, how did it lose signal? So I think it's just the placement um, that's causing it to go off a lot more, but yeah. (laughs) Gotcha, gotcha. I I just thought it was like, hey, yeah, time to test again. I'm like, you just tested like 60 minutes ago. I don't understand what's going on, (laughs) but now I know it's losing signal. Okay. So how are you liking this new testing method? I, I love it, but it's, it's, it's a little frustrating sometimes when I reflect back. I've I've talked about this a lot. Like my first two and a half years diagnosed, I just, I didn't give a shit. (laughs) I didn't. I was just like, okay, I'll pop some drugs. It'll be fine. Especially having parents that are diabetics, like, And being told, oh, you're young, you can get ahead of this. Some people I know, they only have to take this. And the environment that I was in at the time, it was really hard to just wrap my head around, take this medication that's really messing my stomach up all the time and prick your finger multiple times a day to know where you're at. So once I started really understanding why I needed to take care of myself, I thought that was it. I just have to do the finger thing take my medication and and keep communicating with my medical team so that way I can make sure we're adjusting and calibrating accordingly. 
but it's only within the past year and a half that I even knew CGMs were a thing. And it's mostly because they're targeted towards type 1 diabetics or type 1.5s or Modi or basically insulin-based or insulin-reliant diabetics, right? And so because of that, I totally understand why it's necessary to know where your blood sugar levels are at at any point in time of day because your body is just not producing it and it's life or death if you don't have it. But I think with the rise of honestly all types, um, there are more adults who are being diagnosed as late uh, onset type ones and as well as type two. Type two has been a thing. But not knowing that there's technology out there that can make honestly your life easier was really frustrating. So I was really happy, not only because I was able to get it, how I got it really shocked me and that my dietitian was able to provide it for me when the sensors and the reader itself is really expensive. The starter kit, if you go out of pocket, at least here in the States, is like, 150 to 180 somewhere in that and that's one syst- one sensor and then the reader when you need two sensors a month because it lasts for about two weeks so aside from just wanting to scan myself every five seconds because it was exciting my numbers have never been better and I'm actually looking forward to getting my a1c done actually it's it's coming up in a couple weeks to see where I'm at because I can see so much information aside from it it alerting me when I'm going low. I don't always feel when I'm going low. When I'm going high, knowing that and being able to to quickly treat it, especially with my new medication regimen, I've had more lows than I've had highs. And if I didn't know that I was going low, I mean, I could have been sleeping right next to you and I could have gone into a diabetic coma because I had no clue that my blood sugar was dropping. Now, thankfully, the few times that I have felt low in that like 2, 3 a.m. space, I woke up and I would wake up starving. And I used to feel so bad because I'm like, I should not be eating in the middle of the night. And really what it was is that, nah, if you don't get something in your system, you're gonna you're gonna pass out and it's not gonna be fun. Yeah, your body's telling you like, uh, yeah. you gotta eat. Yeah, so, but especially for women, like the whole weight stigma, and I will say my endocrinologist told me I needed to drop 40 pounds. And it's just like, okay, well, if I gotta eat something in the middle of the night, like, seriously, you want to fucking lose 40 pounds? Like, <laughs> I don't have enough pressure on my back to fit a beauty standard. That's all right. I can do that tangent on another day. But it was just relieving that I had access to information about my own damn self. Like, you go through this spiritual and mental kind of thing, and I'm in therapy and all these things to really understand myself. But from a biological standpoint, I can actually understand myself. That's life changing. And so, yeah, is it a trade off of constantly having something attached to me, which can, you know, be frustrating now? Freestyle did come out with a third that's a lot smaller. So I just need them to approve it here in the States so I can try it out. But it is, it is not as wearing that all the time is way worth it to me than having to stick my finger all the time because I can't know in a moment's notice what's going on with me. And glucometers, they don't tell you if you're going high, low, or staying even, and my CGM does. So if I see that I'm at 180, but I've got a line going even, that means I'm going to stay there and most likely I'll start trending down. If I read and I see I'm at 180 and going down, okay, I don't have to freak out. I might have just, you know, ate something or it's an hour after. If I am at 180 and I'm climbing, then I'm like, okay, 
whatever the hell that was, might not want to touch it again or might want to adjust the portions. Like I can pivot and make adjustments in real time because I know exactly what's going on with me. And because of that, I haven't restricted myself with my eating. I, I don't agree with diet culture at all. So knowing what my numbers are allows me to say, you know what, let's order some pancakes. And I'm not eating all the pancakes in one sitting because I recognize I just need to do a portion. Oh, you know what? I'm going to order pancakes and an omelet with a crap ton of veggies in it and some avocado or whatever, because I can even myself out. And when I scan myself an hour or two later, I can see what the effects are and adjust. So next time, if I want to order IHOP, I don't feel shitty outside of it is IHOP. So I mean, I feel shitty, (laughs) but you know, I'm not, I'm not worried about it from a diabetes standpoint. It's just more of like, these probably aren't real eggs. So you should probably stop eating it. (laughs) So it's, it's been extremely helpful. And I, I really wish that type twos or I don't even say type twos, because even Modi folks don't necessarily have to be insulin based, but people who are treating their diabetes with just medication, we get steel walled left and right for CGMs. My insurance wouldn't approve it. They'll knock off a couple dollars for the sensors but they don't feel that it's necessary for me to have it because I can just use a glucometer. And if it wasn't for my dietitian, getting that to me as like a free sample, basically, it would be hard. Dexcom is one of those companies where they're very well known in the type one space. But when I actually submitted information to possibly get one, because I just like, I just want a CGM before I landed on Freestyle, it denied me on their website because they have you do like a little quiz. And because I'm not insulin dependent, it's not available to me man that's so crappy that that's yeah. so crappy yeah that's yeah, so crappy yeah. And, and i appreciate you for sharing that because that was actually that was actually one of my questions is because I, I knew you were going through that challenge there in and getting uh that particular device so you actually hit the nail on the head there with that particular question and i i personally think that it is a it it, it definitely improves a success factor or provides a success factor if you have data. Like medication, mm-hmm. fuck medication. Data is king and data is queen. You can do a lot more with data. You can't really do a lot with medication outside of what the doctor told you, how much to take, how often to take it. But if you have data, you can pivot in your day like you were saying and say, okay, I'm trending up, I'm trending down. This is what I ate earlier. You just have a lot more information at your disposal. And it's crappy that the medical industry bars or places obstacles for people to have that kind of data accessible in their daily lives. And they just want to give you You want to know what's also funny? That's freaking bananas. Yeah. You want to know something that's funny though? There was a post going around on Instagram. She was another diabetic and she was holding up a sign that was basically talking about how CGMs are not something that non-diabetics should be purchasing. There was a whole thing going on where people who are non-diabetics were finding ways to buy CGMs for fitness stuff. They want to see how their workouts are affecting their blood sugar. Now, I do agree that blood sugar management is not reduced to just diabetics. Now, there are other conditions where your blood sugar management is just as important, but blood sugar management matters to everybody. We've gone through the diet culture of like taking insane amounts of coffee. And especially if you like all the added sugary stuff, like you're constantly crashing and spiking and crashing and spiking. You just don't realize it. When people say I'm getting hangry, that's your blood sugar going low. That's all that that is. And so understanding how to eat 
um, well-balanced meals and even these nutrition plans that come out, all they're doing is putting together a regimen that ensures that your blood sugar levels are stable because that's what's going to keep you from this up and down and those crazy feelings. So people going out of their way to buy CGMs, it makes the supply unavailable to those who really need it because there are plenty of diabetics who are getting denied for that. Now, I do know that in Europe, you don't need a prescription. You just buy it. But here in the States, you have to have a prescription to buy sensors. And the the problem with some of the vendors that are doing it, one vendor that I went through online to, they checked my insurance for me. You could still buy the sensors. As long as your doctor was willing to write a prescription for it, even if your insurance wouldn't pay for it, you can buy them. They'll ship it to you. All they need is your doctor to sign off on it. And so that's where it comes, this kind of ethical thing of like, okay, if I'm a doctor and I have someone who's asking for a CGM and they're not showing any signs of prediabetes, they're not showing any signs of maybe like PCOS for women or any any type of condition that you really need to keep an eye on your blood sugar, stop recommending or, or writing prescriptions for CGMs. They can go to Walmart, pay 15 bucks for a glucometer, and y'all can definitely pay the $100 for the strips if you want, because that's really all you need to do is a test here and there. You don't need to constantly monitor it. So it it really is frustrating to spend time trying to get technology that can literally change my life while someone else who doesn't have to worry about this is trying to get the same technology, and some of them are actually getting it ahead of me. I'm not ashamed to say that I'm diabetic. I'm not ashamed to represent being diabetic. But if I could pass this shit off, I absolutely would. So why anybody would use up technology that's meant for us? Like, insulin ran out in Iran. You know what I mean? So like, (laughs) when stuff like that happens, you have to think about, okay, I, I always think of like companies when they're like, where do we cut? Where do we cut costs? Where do we cut things? And that's how you see layoffs and stuff like that. So when people buy up, useful tools. All that means is that potentially these companies keep like, oh, well, there's such a demand for this. Yeah, let's jack the sensors up, hundred bucks each. And so it it it's really frustrating. I'm not even gonna speak on the insulin outage in Iran because that we already know that the the diabetic industry is a billion dollar industry in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And I can I'm not even gonna go into my conspiracy theories about that. We can move on. (laughs) (laughs) It's your show. So that's just incredible that there is an insulin shortage anywhere that either. And I I don't think it's ever a mismanagement of resources. It's either a. A organization or a group of people bought up all the insulin to charge a higher rate, a scalping, basically, uh, or B, you're not, you're not, the medical community isn't, isn't speaking up towards what the needs are. Because there's no reason why a demand for insulin should overweigh the supply. That should never happen. That should never happen. Yeah, That's or what... it should never be that insulin is so expensive that... Equally people. that, absolutely. Yeah, like people are, are are having to make life or death choices on, do I buy food, which I need, 
But if I buy food, if, if no one's familiar about insulin, you have to calculate your food into your insulin doses. So if I need to bolus for something that I'm eating, and, and my dad's on insulin, right? Now he's he's doing insulin coupled with oral medication, but if that's what he needs, it, it's a hormone that your body produces. So the fact that we were able to synthesize it and then sell it, like it shouldn't be a cost at all. If your body literally cannot make insulin, we shouldn't be charging anybody for it because that's a normal bodily function. Like, all right, I, I, listen, I could, <laughs> it just makes no sense to me. But you know, we, the world capitalizes off of making sickness and, and needing to be healthy, something that you have to pay to access. And, and it's, it's so frustrating that in order for me to live properly, I have to pay. It can't just be, we want you to live properly. Because if you're living properly and your body is functioning, you're going to be a functioning member of society. So if I can make it to where you don't have to worry about your insulin situation getting haywire, because it means that you're going to be able to do more work in the community, I'm all for it. But people don't think that way anymore. So I wonder what uh, I wonder what the UK's uh, policy or stance is on on that insulin. I'm curious because they make a lot of proper decisions in regards to in Canada as well. They make a lot of good decisions, policy decisions that benefit the the public as a whole. I'm I'm just curious. I'm gonna have to research that to see what their policy stance is. Unless you- I don't know directly, but I do have some UK diabetic friends who I think would be great pages to follow. Shout out to Type One Dan, Type One Tom. Type One Tom has a well, they both have podcasts, honestly, and they're both based in the UK. And Type One Dan actually is an award winning podcaster out in the UK, and he interviews all Type Ones. And so those are two people that I follow that I feel like have great insight on what it's like in the UK, but there's great information. And a lot of, when I was talking to, shout out to Glucose Game Mike, when he and I were talking, the UK diabetic community is strong. Like I want to go out there just to meet everybody because they really do have a a tight knit community. And like you said, the policies and things are a little bit easier. They don't have to go through their doctor to get the sensors that they need, but things like that. And there are policies built in on their, I want to say their government system even assisting with payments for their medication. So I'm fuzzy on it myself, but those would be two two people that I would recommend and happy to you know throw that in the show notes for you guys to follow because yeah, they do a lot of yeah, great stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I would definitely like to know if if the UK gets their insulin for free. Like I, America is a young country in perspective compared to a lot of other countries. So maybe we'll catch up one day to the uh, altruistic side of policy. But until then, we have what we have, but <laughs> let's pivot again. All right. So, so let's, let's get a little deep here. All right. What was, and you, you shared with me some, some, some moments in, in time where, especially when you were first diagnosed of getting to a point where you were hypoglycemic. Tell, tell us about a time or the scariest moment of hypoglycemia or hyperglycemia, if you've ever experienced hyperglycemia. Ooh, so before I answer that question, pop quiz for the host, what do those oh, terms no. mean? The question. What do those terms mean? Oh, okay. Okay. I can answer those. <laughs> Shout out to being a medic for four years, but no, six years. Hyperglycemia is basically when your sugar level is way up. Hypoglycemia, way down. You don't want to be in either one of those territories because shit can get real 
real fast. And depending on how old you are, like young folks compensate a lot better than older folks or rather flip that. No, that's correct. Younger folks compensate a lot better than older folks. It's it's generally a slow decline with older folks, uh, especially if you you you're going into diabetic shock and things like that. You'll you'll see that gradual decline with young with kids and stuff like that. They compensate, compensate, compensate very well, and then all of a sudden they're out. And so a, a lot of times I I and the only reason why I know this is because I, I was a medic. So it's 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 scary dealing with kids because you have to make sure you get them their treatment as soon as you can because they're not going to they're they're going to be fine they're going to look fine they're going to act fine and then all of a sudden they're going to be out on the floor right mm-hmm. whereas someone like yourself or or my age will just start feeling real sluggish and will will feel crappy and it's just like Oh man, we need to get you to the hospital, huh? So, a uh, little bit more than you asked for, but hyperhypoglycemia. There we go, folks. I'm so rambling. proud. <laughs> I guess I can answer your question now. So, okay, can I just can I just interject with like that was cute, right? Like you see why I'm with the guy, right? Cuz like he knows. Okay, anyways. So, like I said, lows for me are hit and miss. I will be honest, I get hyper and hypo mixed up all the time because whoever the fuck decided to name them pretty much almost the same thing is really stupid. I said it. So whichever one the low is. Hypo. Then you got hypertension, hypotension, hyper. Really hate the naming system. It's so dumb. Like just, just, and and I get they need to have their names, but when we use them, can we just say what it is? You got yes, extra just sugar. Say that. Just said it. You, you ain't got, got enough sugars. sugar. You got too much sugar. Call it a day. Shout out to Diabetes Bay because she is a nurse and she uses layman's terms. She don't use all this. I, I can't remember what term she said it was from when like you go to the bathroom all the time because that's one of the symptoms. She said the term and I'm like, what? She's like, exactly. I don't say that when I'm treating people because they don't know what the hell that means, especially if you're a kid. Anyways, ran for another day. Sometimes I feel my lows and I call it the shakes. Because that's usually what happens for me. I, I, I feel really shaky. I sweat. I get really hot and sometimes dizzy. When I wasn't diagnosed just yet, it led to fainting for me. One time that I fainted pretty hard, it led to a nice knock on the head in the shower. It's really great. Thank God I was I was natural at that point. But, you know, it's really fun to wake up naked, completely soaking wet, didn't plan on getting my hair wet, and you're like, where am I? <laughs> so it's it's definitely something that's interesting. Now I will say, because my numbers were so high in the beginning, I would have false hypos, right? Right? Okay, whatever. Because my body was so used to operating with such high blood sugars that actually getting in normal range felt like a low. And so that was even scarier because, and I think I've, I, I experienced this with you your first couple of years when you were here. I think there was one particular instance actually where, I don't know, we were in the house and we were talking about something and I'm like, I need to sit down for a second. And I kept testing myself and I was like 120. And I'm like, why do I feel this way? And it's because my medication was working essentially, but I had been operating at such a high glucose level that 
getting down to normal range made me feel sick. And so that was probably the one that scared me the most because I'm like, okay, do I treat this? Do I not? If I don't treat this, am I going to pass out? Am I going to have to go to the hospital? Like what? And so that happened to me a couple of times and it was it was frustrating. Now I've I've learned how to work through it even with my CGM now. When I see myself in like the 90s, sometimes 80s, I'm like and I'm trending down, I'm like I know for me 65 is probably the only time when I'll, I'll start to like okay, I need to pay attention a little bit more. Now I my CGM is set to 70 being the the low minimum and it's interesting cuz it'll let you change it but it doesn't stay that way because like the normal range is, is supposed to be that. So sometimes my alarm is going off when I'm at 69, 68, whatever. But I just have to look at it as, you know, if I'm at 65 and trending down, I'm not even or going up, then I need to go ahead and treat. Or if I'm 75 sometimes and I'm trending down that I might, all right, let me go grab a sip of juice really quick just until I am able to get to a point where I can have an actual meal or a snack. Highs, hypers. <sighs> It's hard to pinpoint exactly moments where I, I can say I definitively know that my blood sugar is really high right now without having to use a meter. And I think that's probably even scarier because at least most of the time, lows, like, you even even like when I don't instantly feel it, when it's too low, and at least I know how to, you know, hurry up and treat that. But highs, especially being a woman, you yeah, what doesn't agitate you? Like your period agitates you, if you got a headache. So like all of the symptoms that you feel, you don't know exactly what it's for because it could be across the board of so many other things. So I can definitely attest to feeling sluggish, definitely agitated. And that's probably the only two things that I can even reference to. And I can say that I've checked my blood sugar and I'm like, oh, well, that makes sense. Now I'm a little bit more aware when I have my CGM, there have been a couple of 200 moments, but I mean, Starburst jelly beans and they were on sale because it was after Easter and limiting somebody to just like 10 is stupid. So like that's probably the only time where I can like, oh, okay, I'm feeling a little sick or crappy, but it's not often. So I think the the super high blood sugars are the ones that make me relieve that I'm honestly still here because I have no clue when I was having them. And I think the other scary part is not really understanding the damage that's being done staying in that elevated state for so long, especially spending a couple of years like not really caring and not really treating it. But lows are not fun because you literally... It feels like you're a ticking time bomb. If I don't treat this now, I don't know what's going to happen next. But because you feel it, at least you're aware. But but highs, highs are the ones that I feel like are the, the aspect of diabetes that is the silent killer because a lot of people don't know that they have it. And it's because you don't feel highs. You feel the lows, you get hangry, you need to eat something. But, but when you're too high for too long, sometimes it might be too late. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. Let's talk about a, a little bit about your work in the world. So we know that uh, you're a full-time podcaster now helping being Captain Superwoman Marvel. Yeah, I, I totally messed all of that up. Being a superhero in the podcast space with your content and, and trying to help people full-time now. What made you choose to start your show? So healing in hindsight technically has existed for over four years it started out as a blog 
And it's funny, that's actually when I was like aiming to monetize. I was like, yeah, I'm going to write. I, I do love to write. And I had just been diagnosed and I'd been temping for a really big company and that contract had ended. And I was like, okay, I'm going on unemployment while I'm looking for work. What could I possibly do to have maybe some passive income? I'm like, well, I looked online to try to find the diabetic community. Instagram had probably just been getting started at that point. Facebook was still uh, alive and kicking. By the way, did we tell everybody the last time we were on a podcast together how I got on Facebook because somebody was in college before I was two years, guys, before you guys get crazy. And he messaged me when I tried to add him as a friend and was like, this is for college students, right? My like, aunt, I'm going to college. I didn't stay, but. It was. Yeah. <laughs> I had been a dual credit student, so. I would have been just fine with Facebook staying a college tool because. No, it's just like a mono. It's a monolith of a beast, and no one knows what to do with Fang at all. But neither here or there. Basically, now now the audience being knows. Petty. Now the audience knows I'm a petty jackass in college. Everybody knew that. But anyways, I mean, has that changed? <laughs> neither here or there. Oh, your show. <laughs> So the show, yeah. So it started out as a blog. I wanted to monetize. That was half of my reason for going into it. I didn't find anyone around my age who was diabetic. I didn't find anybody who was 25, diabetic, specifically type 2 at the time, a woman or a woman of color. So it was just like, well, the, the wellness, nutrition and fitness was really kicking up at the time in the blog space. So I'm like, all right, there's there should be a space for me here, right? But I went at it all wrong. I tried to mimic skinny white women, which wasn't for me. <laughs> and no, no offense to my skinny white girls. I like y'all too. But it just wasn't the, the look for me. And so it became really hard to write because I felt like I needed to write basically research papers and have them backed with factual stuff. And because it's, it's medical stuff. and I'm not a medical professional of any sort. So I need to at least be able to point people in the right direction to do their research. And it just became exhausting to try to do. On top of trying to portray my whole mission at the time was, I'm going to reverse this. I'm going to manage this holistically. It is still a goal of mine, but I'm not, I'm not gonna shame myself for being on medication. Like, I think we need to normalize that medication is there to help you. I just think of it as training wheels. I don't wanna be on it forever, but at the same time, if I'm not using it appropriately as to what my doctor or my medical team is saying, I'll never know if I can come off the shit if I don't do what I'm supposed to do. So it was one of those things where like, I'm basically trying to write articles about how to manage your diabetes, but also to come off medication. And I didn't know how to do that because I, I was barely even taking my medication. So I was trying to lie to give this false perception that I got all my stuff together and pay me, right? So I sat on it for a couple of years because at that point, my professional career was taking off. I was really getting into the training space, which is what I love to do if I'm in a corporate role. And I was experiencing my first promotions and all these kinds of things. And then you moved here and changing different jobs. And I, I love the startup culture. So that's where I hopped around at. So it just sat and I kept coming back to it. And the logo the logo that I like to tell people all the time was gifted to me by my best friend who is a creative director for a marketing agency. 
And so having the logo and having the the branding and having the website, like, oh, that's really cool to say like, oh yeah, actually I have my own separate website, blah, blah, blah. but there wasn't anything on it because I wasn't doing anything with it. So I had realized probably in the last two years, which is when I was at a job where I not only got into leadership, but I actually ended up managing my own team, which was really special for me. I just kept finding myself in moments, not only at work, but outside of work where I would just, in passing, say, oh yeah, I'm a diabetic. Or I would mention, oh, well, when I take my medication for my diabetes or something like that. And people would be like, what? I'm like, oh yeah, I didn't tell you that. I'm a diabetic. And really having thoughtful conversations. Like people would start to probe at me of like, well, wait a minute, how did that happen? And I would tell them my story. And then I would go on my rant about the pharmaceutical industry because I don't want to be on this medication long-term. I think I'd like to keep my liver and kidneys. <laughs> so stuff like that would come up and I would just be so passionate in my speech that I often would engage in even online conversations about the wellness industry and living with a chronic condition and things like that. And it was after, I think, what, we were, we were about three or four months into the pandemic, and I'd been, unfortunately, laid off from that wonderful job. And I had, I really knew that I wanted to do something with Healing in Hindsight. That's why I held on to it. That's why I kept renewing the domain, everything. I knew that I was meant to do something. Every time I talked to my close friends, there was always this air of like, you need to be a change maker in this space because for our community, nobody knows about it. And especially for the black community, like we're one of the minorities getting hit the hardest with it. So that on top of like both my parents are diabetics and my mom has, has been really, you know, well and disciplined with her stuff. She had worked really hard on working on her diet and things like that. And she came off half her medications and I was really proud of her for that. And it conspired me. But, you know, me and my dad have similar habits and things. And there was a space where his job is so crazy, things like that, that I kind of got scared. I'm like, well, if I can't prove, if I can't show him that we can do this, like, I don't want to lose my dad. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so it came became this kind of just mixture of I'm still passionate about it when I talk about it. I want to show my family, like, you can manage this in a way that doesn't make you feel like I don't know how to live my life anymore because it's just nothing but feeding myself pills and feeling like I can't have ice cream. I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't have family functions. And I really love sticky rice and I don't want to feel like I can't have sticky rice. It's totally my Asian half coming out. But anyways, like stuff like that. And I don't remember what we were doing, but I remember walking around this space and realizing oh shit taylor a podcast you listen to them <laughs> all the time like like three years at that time i've been listening to them i you know just turned 30 and i'm just like duh like full v8 slap in the face duh stop trying to write it just talk about it record it your dad is an audio engineer for god's sakes like it shouldn't be hard right so it it just just smacked me upside the head moment and i was able to finally take all of the years of dreaming and wanting to do something in the space and being able to, to realize I had everything that I needed to do what I needed to do in the first place. And so August of 2020, I launched my first season and it was a lot. It was messy. It was a whole bunch of sleepless nights trying to get stuff done because I did all of the everything that season. And then my dad pitched in to help for season two and, and to this day. 
but yeah, it was a, a very slow rise to this point because I didn't, I didn't know what I needed to do. And it, it took some working on myself to even realize that I wanted to do it. Awesome. 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 Thanks for sharing. Also shout out to Tony T for doing all the audio engineering. Dude's awesome. Thanks, Dad. Well, I appreciate you for <laughs> appreciate you for sharing your your work with the world. All those sleepless nights, and this this takes a lot. I I can't even imagine some of the the things that you have to to go through and deal with. So I appreciate what you do, and I I hope the world does too. So let's uh, let's wrap things up. A couple of things here. What's one misconception that you want to debunk about diabetes? Oh, turning my own question against me. Hmm. This is going to be hard because all of my guests have given some really good ones. You know, I'm going to steal one that you said earlier, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tweak it. Of course you are. Well, I didn't have the opportunity to think about it. So I'm going to say the, the weight stigma, but with a, a different twist to it. And I, I say this with a full disclaimer that I am not a medical professional. So if you decide to take this advice, it's at your own risk. Do your research, weigh your options out, whatever. But not everything that your doctors are telling you around your weight are true. My first endocrinology appointment was this year. Didn't even know I really needed to see one because my, my main physician, uh, primary care physician, had been managing my medication regimen uh, since I was diagnosed, right? I chose to go see one because, well, for type, I don't even want to say type 1s anymore, for insulin-dependent diabetics, it makes sense. It's a hormone. That's what endocrinologists specialize in. You need it because you can't produce it. Cool. But when I got more understanding that they are the specialists in diabetes, that's when I decided from getting involved in the community that I should see one. And I know Cronalysis is nice. I'm giving him three appointments before I decide if I'm going to find someone else. I've only had one. Got to have number two, end of the month, and then a third. But I, I said something to him that I feel like laid into what a lot of medical professionals are trained on in weight and fat stigma. And there's a endocrinologist uh, on Instagram, who I love following, who I appreciate is trying to change this around. I'll, I, everything underscore endocrine. Yeah. But I say, Hey, I don't know exactly what's a healthy weight for me because I've, I've done a lot of work on my self-esteem and my body image. And I, I know I'm not supposed to be super thin. And I know that the imagery and the things that I was believing as the, the right beauty standard a, were never designed for me, and B, put me in such a bad place with myself and how I would just yo-yo diet and and spend, I don't want to think about how much money I've spent. Just stupid shit. <laughs> it just was never designed to work for me. But, you know, I'm like, okay, I, I recognize that weight can play a role, but it's not the end-all be-all. And I just want to understand, knowing that I'm not meant to be 120 pounds, like, what's what's the happy middle for me, Right. And it opened up a can of worms as I was telling him about my past be six years in November that I've been a diabetic. And he was talking about how fat, the more fat that you have, the more insulin resistant you become. I understand that. He, he talked about the medication regimen that I was on. At the time, it was glipizide and combaglize, which is a, a combo metformin extended release drug. I get that glipizide is old school now. And even though it's still being prescribed, it's not 
it's not the best fit for me. That's cool. I'm totally okay with not being on, you know, anything crazy metformin because kidney failure. I would like to have those when I'm old. So there were things that he was saying that I'm like, okay, I can, I can rock with that. But when he leads with the next, now if we can just get you to lose about 40 pounds and then work you off the medication, then I don't think diabetes is going to have to be something that you worry about. But if you gain the weight back, it's going to come back and it's going to be 10 times harder. And I typically don't go for male doctors. No shade to any male doctors out there. But there's still sometimes a level of sensitivity that's not understood when, you know, opposite genders are interacting about private medical things. And the interesting thing is that when I tried to prevent my diagnosis back in 2014, I went to see a doctor who monologued and would not listen to me and refused to give me the test until I like fought him for it. And yes, I emphasize him because it was a male doctor. And all of my female doctors never put me through that. So it's already hard going into a doctor's office. I was nervous even when I chose him, but he had such great reviews. So I'm like, I'm going to give him a chance because at this point, I want to do the best thing that I can in treating my diabetes. And he's like, lose 40 pounds. And he was nice about it. But I'm just like, I already get hit left and right about being too fat, being too whatever and not being able to wear certain things because I'm not, I don't have the flat stomach or I don't have the big boobs or whatever. And now from a medical standpoint, you're too fat. BMI chart says this. When's the last time the BMI chart was checked? Wasn't it created by a man in like the 1800s? Are we, are we fact checking this every year? Are we doing more studies to actually back up that the BMI chart is still relevant to this day? Isn't that how science works? I don't know. Not a scientist, but I feel like you leading with the BMI chart isn't exactly the best way to go. And also giving me a small, nice, but crazy scare tactic of, well, as long as you don't gain the weight back, you'll be fine. And do you know what my life has been like with weight, with the ups and downs, with even just gaining fine five pounds and losing it and then gaining it back again and sometimes more? Like, so you want to send me through this yo-yo cycle Instead of just like being able to just be good with myself and the more that I'm just good with myself, the more I fuel it right, the more that I make sure that I'm doing my medication right, the more that I'm willing to move because I want to move to be strong, not because I need to do cardio four to five times a week so that way I can drop some fucking weight. So I feel like the biggest misconception is that weight is the answer for diabetes. It is a part of the condition. But there's genetic. Both my parents are type twos. Both of my grandparents, at least the female grandparents were type twos. Like there's way more that's involved than just, well, you got too fat. So that's why. And especially the, the, the just cruelty against medicine-based diabetics of you caused your diabetes. Oh, your diabetes is your fault. Oh, heard a doctor say in a clubhouse room, let's be honest, type two is just a series of bad choices and that's why you have type two. Fuck you. (laughs) I didn't ask for this. I was doing the best that I can in some really shitty situations and I challenged him on, what about marginalized communities who don't have the same food access in order to make sure we're managing and keeping our bodies healthy for that? You gonna tackle that? You gonna... You gonna head to the hood and make sure we're not eating fried chicken and watermelon all the time? Like, okay, that's what I thought. So, 
<laughs> Clearly, that's a little touchy subject for me, but. Yeah, yeah, no, no problem. I, I hear it quite often, actually. <laughs> I'm like, you asked this it. Dude, this dude had no chance, like at all. But yeah, Taylor, thank you for being with us today. It was definitely lovely, lovely talking to you, seeing your glowing face in the virtual space. I did not try to rhyme there, but there it is. But any final pieces of advice or piece of advice for newly diagnosed people? Yeah, it's okay to feel like this shit sucks. Like straight up, like it it is toxic positivity is another thing that I would just like love to go in on because in part of coming to terms with my diagnosis, I just had to like finally give myself permission that I didn't want it and I was upset about it and I didn't feel like anybody really heard me on that sometimes. So have your 2.5 second freak out of like, this shit sucks. And I'm really sad that I'm having to deal deal with this. I'm really angry. Whatever you feel like, feel it out. Just know that when you come out of that, like hit the ground running because it does not mean the end of the world. It does not mean that you can't enjoy life. It It's just a different element that you have to adjust to. And you can adjust and you can adjust well, but it's okay if if you want to sit there and be mad about it. I think it's fair for people to feel through those feelings because they're not bad feelings. They just are, but you're not those feelings and you can come out of it. I think my second piece is find the community because we're awesome, but yeah, that's what I would say. Awesome. Awesome. Well, again, it was lovely speaking with you. I appreciate you for taking the time out of your day to allow me to ask you a few questions and to meet your audience once again. If you haven't checked out our episode in season one, you need to go do that. It's a good combo there, uh, especially as she started to figure out her podca podcast space. But you can find uh, more content at healinginhindsight.com. You can also find a lot more other fantastic details about the lovely Taylor Danielle at her Instagram, which is? There's two. So the show is at Healing in Hindsight. And then if you want to keep up with me personally and the other things that I'm going to be rolling out, that's going to be at just Taylor Danielle with one L, just one. And yeah, I've got a lot of great things coming out. I'm actually going to be starting a separate live stream show on May 19th that is completely separate from my diabetic life. It's more about the body and self-acceptance that I went through to get to this point and just being willing to be my unapologetic self and wanting others to do the same. So that'll be fun. Come hang out. And that's also where you can find more information about my group coaching course, Expedition U, Journey to Your Best Self, to take it a step further. And if you want to spend some time with me and learning the steps that I took to get to this place and full acceptance with my body and working with my body to make it the best that it can be, I want to help you with that. So at Healing in Hindsight, at just Taylor Danielle, with one L. Check her out, y'all. You all. You guys. It's y'all. See? See? Just accept it. Just accept it. You're a Texan now. You've been here four years. Y'all is it. You don't need to make it two separate Never. words. That's using up in too many VR. characters. Just say, we'll, you can even, we'll even allow you to make it Never. fancy by putting a little apostrophe in there so you feel like it's a contraction. Just say y'all. It's already in your system already there just do it just do it give in give never in. this this <laughs> this guy will die with you all 
and use guys. You but, say again, but again, definitely lovely speaking with you. Check her out. Support the podcast. Buy her a coffee. Whatever you got to do to support this young lady. She's doing some extremely great, th- great things in the virtual space as well as also in her own neighborhood and in her own family. But this has been another uh, episode of Healing in Hindsight, your no BS source for thriving with diabetes. I've been your guest host, Eli Will. Check you all later. Wasn't that awesome, y'all? I feel like the Healing in Hindsight takeover needs to be a, a kind of a quarterly thing, maybe. I think this was successful. What do y'all think? You all. Gosh darn it. She's right. Anyways, Healing in Hindsight Takeover. The first ever. I'm glad to have been a part of this. I hope you all enjoyed it as much as I did. Being able to interview the lovely Taylor, getting into her headspace and her journey with diabetes. We learned a lot today. I, I definitely learned a lot especially in regards to her new glucose testing meter, the CGM. I I just see her having to wave the thing like a wand over her arm, not really knowing a whole lot of nuts and bolts to it. But gaining that insight, gaining that understanding was definitely worth the conversation. Definitely look into CGMs yourselves. I think that data is king for sure, especially when it comes to our health. So as if you can get the data and use the data, that just factors into your success in either reversing or managing your diagnosis. We also talked about some of her scary moments with hypoglycemia and hyperglycemia. Definitely appreciate her for getting vulnerable and sharing with us there. And also some of the work that she's doing in the world with her podcast, going full-time podcast since season one, and also some future endeavors that she has coming down the pipeline. You all be on the lookout for that. Definitely go to healinginhindsight.com. Enjoy the space. See how you can support this young lady. See how you can support not only her journey, but also the work that she's doing to inform and, in a way, liberate individuals that have type 1, type 2 diabetes. And we also got a chance to get some more insight from her from from a diabetic standpoint, some misconceptions about the disease, especially in regards to weight. Weight is definitely not the only contributing factor to diabetes. Individuals that are within the proper weight can still develop diabetes. So it's 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 about eating right, it's about treating your body well, giving yourself the right right stuff so that it can break down. We all know this, but it's always good to hear it from someone else, right? And we definitely appreciate Taylor for taking time out of her day, letting me mess up her podcast a little bit and giving you all a different different view to the show. All right. Also, if you like my shirt, you should check out American Vines. All right. It's a band here in Austin. Check out American Vines. We'll drop it in the links below and check them out. Give my my guy, Mark Hammett, some love. All right. Tell him I sent you his way. You all are awesome. Thanks for being with us until next week.